Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Impact of Influence, the Murdoch family murders. This is the unfolding story of a powerful South Carolina family, the mysterious deaths they are linked to, and our quest to bring you the truth. Hello, friend. So grateful that you spent time with us. Impact of Influence has been going strong now since just a couple of weeks after the murders of Paul and Maggie Murdoch, and we have a feeling it might be continuing for quite some time. A lot of stuff in the news about Alec Murdoch in prison and what might be coming up. We also want to talk about the documentary that Seton Tucker was a big part of. I'm Matt Harris, by the way. And Dwayne's over there producing. Uh, you can check it out, The Impact of Influence, on Facebook, Podcast at gmail.com. And we're going to get into the documentary in a little bit and special guest to talk more about it. But, Seton, uh, let's talk about things that are starting to leak about Alec and how he's doing in prison. Right. So an inmate who had previously been in the facility that Alec is reached out to Cody Alcorn with... 11 Alive in Atlanta. This former inmate, I guess he's been released, lived with Alec in this dormitory-style building that housed 30 inmates. Now, these inmates were in this special unit because of either notoriety, um, they possibly committed crimes involving children, or they've helped... uh, They've helped prosecution. Right. So a little kind of like a snitches. Right. These are people who need protective custody for whatever reason. Right. Exactly. Um, And... This man has now been released, but he's not speaking. He's, I guess, he's feared for his safety, so he's not, you know, coming out with his name. A few things he says. He, he he alleges that Alec received special treatment. For example, everyone has issued this state tablet that they're able to communicate on, and when Alec arrived, he gets a brand new one, and he says, "Well, mine was had a cigarette burn in it, or something like that." And there was a period of time that none of the inmates had access to the tablets because of Alec's location being leaked. Yeah, he sent an email that was leaked, and that's how the location got out Yeah, uh, to a news outlet. And so during this period of time, I think it was 21 days, the 30 people in this protective unit had to use, uh, they, he calls them wall phones. I guess those are pay phones, but maybe oh, yeah. you don't take coins anymore. Yeah, I don't know how it is in there. In the movies, they yeah, I think it's just a hardwired phone, and they have a certain amount of time they can be on there, I would assume. And he says that Alec was able to use the phone after, I guess, everyone else. So he, he didn't have to wait in line with everybody else. Because there's 30 guys in the unit and three phones. So they were letting him uh, out after they got locked down to use the wall phones. And he also talks about canteen items. I guess they're a big, you know, source of, you know, if you have $150 as Alec did and canteen money to spend a week and some of these other prisoners maybe don't, you, you know, he would spend it and he would hand out items that were 
sought after, like coffee and soda and those sort of things. So other, because other guys have no money. And so I would assume, I mean, they say it like it's a bad thing, but I kind of think that that's probably how prison works, right? Yeah. You get stuff uh, and you lord it over people. Right. And he, he describes what a day, a typical day was like for Alec. He says that Alec would wake up in the morning and play chess for a few hours and actually had someone doing his laundry for him. Um, yeah, he said everyone was catering to him. And that could be because he's getting that 150 a day where a lot of them probably are getting nothing or very little. And he was doing legal work for a guy who would make wine in his cell. <laughs> I thought that I was interesting. I imagine that's tasty. Yeah. Probably make it in the toilet. That's what I had heard one time, long oh, time ago. Gross. Uh, you know, here's the thing. We've got to remember we're getting this information from somebody who probably has lied a lot in their life, right? We're getting it from an inmate. Yeah, someone so, who has spent some time in jail. So th- this person may or may not be telling 100% truth. Right. In this article, it brings up that, I guess, smuggling cell phones into the facility, you know, that that is a big commodity and they could cost upwards of $2,000 to to get a cell phone. And actually, there were a few South Carolina Department of Corrections uh, officers who were subject to a grand jury investigation regarding this. But not involving Murdoch. No, no. But just just talking that, I guess, cell phones do get into the jails. He also says that a lot of the inmates, and he says, including Murdoch, participate in drug use. And that's a big problem in the South Carolina Department Mm. of Corrections. He also talks about Murdoch getting all the love letters from the ladies. And he found it hilarious. Yes. They get pictures and he would share them with his dorm mates. They call them dorm mates. And what's interesting to me, one of the whole thing's interesting, but in here he talks about how uh, Alec is, you know, very personable. H- how you doing? How you doing? Whatever. And it's funny because I was on court. Do you remember when I was court TV a couple yeah. months ago? And before I'd read this, I said, I said, this is how I imagine Alec Murdoch is in jail. I know. I thought of you when I, when I read this article, because it, it describes him as someone who was like, he was running for the fraternity president. Yeah. Damn glad to meet you. How you doing? Damn glad to meet you. And he was always happy and nothing really phased him. And and, you know, kind of alludes to maybe he doesn't seem like a guy who is grieving the loss of his wife and son. Well, also, you could read that into it. Or I could read it in as, if I'm in prison, I don't want to be walking around like, uh-huh, sad all the time. That would make me a target, I would think. So Alex's going to use, again, I'm psychoanalyzed. I haven't done time in a while <laughs> or ever. Use the skills that he has had through the years, which is remembering people's names, saying hi, being charismatic. To survive in prison. We heard this from the very beginning. Alex, the guy, walks in the Piggly Wiggly. He is, hey, Bo, how you doing? How's your kids? Hey, how's the janitor? How's Ross? How's it going? Yeah. Oh, and if you're going to hand out some sodas to make people happy, then that might not be a bad thing. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm know, doing whatever I can. Keep, keep, keep myself safe. Right. So we don't know. I think it's hard to judge whether he's sad or happy based on what he's showing to the other inmates because he's going to use that skill he has, which is... Hey, Freddie, how's that ship going? Hey, hey, Frank, how's that bar of soap you got on a rope? Uh, you know, he's going to be really oh, no. dealing. You didn't go there, did you? <laughs> well, I mean, I, whatever. I'm just not letting go <laughs> anywhere. I'm just saying, how you doing? That's his thing, man, right? That's his, that has been his, his strength. Now, let's move to another jail person. <laughs> we, he's been all over. Uh, his big thing's on TikTok, but I think he now has a YouTube channel. Does he? Pablo. Pablo. Jumpsuit, Jumpsuit Pablo. Pablo. Yes. Has talked about the prisons that Alec has been in and he served in 
Yeah, he was in the same facility, McCormick Correctional Institute. He spent time there. So what's jumpsuit Pablo talking about? Pablo tells us a lot about the position that Ellick has been assigned to. He's been assigned the title of warden keeper. And this position is, I guess, you you clean up after everyone else is locked down. Then you were kind of out. So you're doing some cleanup. And he says he doesn't know if Alex's doing this or not. But I guess a benefit of having this position is sometimes people pay you to deliver something, a note to another inmate. Mm-hmm. or Contraband. Contraband or something because you are out when other people are locked down. So he said, like, you'll say, like, uh, you know, cell three would say, hey, dude, can you pass this on to cell six or whatever? Right. And you also get to hang out with the officers more. And sometimes... By doing this, you might get some information like there's going to be a search of this unit. So you kind of give people mm. the heads up and tell them, hey, you got anything you're not supposed to have? You might need to get rid of it or right. hide it better or something. That's the the upside of being – that was the inmates chose him, right? According to Pablo, right? Oh, I missed that. I did not hear that part. But I guess if you I heard it – Well, I, I could be insane. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that they chose him hmm. as their – Person. Well, they probably have to have somebody who maybe um, doesn't have infractions, but now True. he does. Now he does. Yeah, now well, he does have infractions. Yes. Yep. Yep. He got infractions because of the, the documentary we're going to talk about. So let's talk about it. And Seton was a big part of the three-part series on Fox News Nation. You can watch it by getting the Fox News app. And just let's go to the day you shot before we get into all the deets. You were there for how long, you think? I was only supposed to interview for two hours, but they kept me for five. So I don't know. Maybe I was slow or I was great. No. I'm going with great, great. right? <laughs> and it was in a like an Airbnb or something? It was in an Airbnb in downtown Charleston. And because it was an old house, the air conditioning was really loud. So we had no air conditioning. So I was very thankful that I had the morning session instead of the afternoon <laughs> session. But they did have to blot me a lot. But you were, you were uh, on it a lot. So where do you want to start with talking about this this doc the the title is the same one that our buddy michael dewitt has for his book yeah that's not cool but i, I don't Fall know the house of murdoch yeah yeah well, I, I didn't like that, did that but i don't know maybe they didn't know i'm not sure okay so what uh, what angle or what do you want to start on this well i think we need to just lead off on this is the documentary that we actually heard from buster yep i agree that's that is something that everybody's been waiting to hear what does buster think about all this and they got him on there, and he talked about Stephen Smith, and he talked about his dad and his family life. Uh, some of the takeaways, where do you uh, want to start with that? Well, he obviously everyone wanted to know if he thought his father was guilty or innocent of killing his brother and mother, and he says, no, he does not believe his father is guilty of this. Now, he took full ownership of the fact that his dad was a disgusting person for ripping all those people off and all the financial crimes. He didn't try to even deny, you know, it wasn't like he was denying that part. No, and the Fox News interviewer, Martha McCollum, asked him point blank if he thought his dad was a psychopath. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, I think he has some of those characteristics and that's a fair assessment. Yeah. But he, did, but he didn't go as far as saying he was a psychopath. He said he had some of the characteristics. Right. And when I was on court TV, I was on with somebody, and they're like, he said he was a psychopath. And I couldn't, I, like, I don't think he said that. But not directly. No. But he has, it, so what he said, you know, like you said, was that it's a fair assessment. 
and he has those characteristics. Uh, the quote is, certainly I think there are characteristics where you look at the manipulation and the lies and the carrying out of that such, and I think that is a fair assessment. Yes. But he does say, I don't think he had anything to do with the murder um, at all. So not just that he didn't physically do it. He doesn't think he had anything to do with it. And I think that that is fair for him to think that. Uh, you yeah, know, it's his dad. You kind of got into it with Eric Land about this on Court TV. There's other people. It's not just Buster who think that he might possibly be innocent or maybe there wasn't enough evidence to right. convict him. Because Bland was kind of like saying it's, and you know, I, I like Eric, so I'm not saying it, but he was saying it's sad that he doesn't see the reality. And my answer to that is it's his dad. It's still his dad. He never saw any signs of a killer in his dad, I'm sure. Uh, and he is not, it's not like there's a smoking gun per se. There's not an eyewitness. Well, there's a smoking video. I did smoking say that. And that was a you very did. cheesy, that was a cheesy line. I that can't believe line. I said that. But, but I think, you know, he's not alone in that. What I'm saying is it's not ridiculous to say that Alec didn't do this. And for his own son to defend him. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. I can't, I can't expect anything less. And his response to the video, though, when asked about this smoking gun video, um, says, I thought it was very odd. I was confused. I don't know why he would lie about such a thing. Right. So he's, he, he's acknowledging that he lied, and he doesn't know why he lied. There has to be this struggle in Buster's brain where certain things point to his dad, and certain things don't point to his dad, but the, the strength of the love that he has for his dad and his family, and just trying to wrap your head around your dad shooting your brother and, and mother, point blank, we can't expect him only a few months after the trial to be like, yep, he's a murderer. Well, and I actually, Collier Landry, who we've had on our podcast yes. before, he reached out and complimented me on my- uh, Oh, he did? Yeah, I cool, thought it was cool, really cool. nice. But he, um, you know, I think he feels the same way. I, I saw him on, I think, Surviving the Survivor podcast, and he, he kind of feels the same way about, you know, Buster's allowed to feel the way he feels. And Collier Landry, for those who don't know, can go back to uh, a podcast we had with Collier. Collier's dad killed his mother, and Collier testified against his dad and really did all the detective legwork. Yeah, he completely believes his dad. He knows his dad did it. He knows his dad did it, but was still a difficult thing for him. And the uh, episode's fantastic, if I do say so myself. So to try to think like somebody's been through this is really hard. And one of the things that we kind of argued back and forth about too was, with Eric, was um, Buster says he doesn't feel safe. And my response to that is, I, I believe he's safe, but that doesn't discount what Buster may feel and to me, it's very possible that Buster has some form of PTSD. Yeah. I mean, he saw photos of his brother's brains blown out and his mom's face blown off. And Andy sat through this trial and his- he heard the gruesome details. And it wasn't that long ago. I mean, the he was convicted in, I'm losing my mind, when was it? I think it's March. Yeah. I mean, that's not that long ago. So for him to feel afraid, I think that's fair for him to feel that way. I, I, you know, I don't have any reason to think that he's in trouble. And he didn't seem to feel like he was unsafe right after the murders happened because he and his dad went to the trial attorney's thing and some fishing tournament. We yeah, saw or fishing attorney. Well, they did yeah. both. I think they went to both. I they were they, both. they were seen out, but, but without bodyguards. 
I don't know. Did they or did they? I don't have that information. I think we would have heard about it. Probably. I think we probably would have heard about it. But anyway, I'm, I'm not going to discount how he feels. Did you notice too? Um, oh, who was the kennel keeper who kept the, the oh, yes. dogs? He Roger Dale. Yes, 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 yes. He he also thought Alec was innocent. I was very surprised by that. Me too. Because during the testimony, I got the vibe that he thought Alec did it because he, but he was just answering truthfully because he was talking about how the you could wash wash off there, like there was a hose there, but he didn't say wash off blood. Take a little break and uh, get you ready for some traveling you've got coming up, some international trip where you want to be able to at least get around, right? So you want to learn the language of the country that you're going to. You want to experience it with a little bit of knowledge going in, and you can get a lot of bit of knowledge when you use Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop it can also be used as an app on your phone or tablet. And Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion. It's instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals. You read stories, you participate in dialogues, so you are ready to go. It's the most trusted, time-tested app out there. They've been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Buy Rosetta Stone now, and you never have to pay a renewal fee. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Impact of Influence listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 40% off. That's 40% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 40% off at rosettastone.com backslash today. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, this is Dr. Grande the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. You know what's funny? I'm, I'm going to maybe bounce around a little bit, but tell me if you got this take from this. There was a lot in this three-part special that had you questioning whether or not Alec did it, more than I think we've seen in a lot of docs. And because of that, in my head, I was questioning how well the defense did. Like, it seemed to me there were so many things that they could have been asking, like, ask Roger, like, I don't know. It's just, you know what I mean? It seems like they didn't do a great job. Yeah, you did wonder that because they did point out a lot of the missteps by law enforcement. We we did hear from Creighton Waters and Alan Wilson, too. So in that respect, I, I felt it was balanced. But the other thing that was, to me, I thought was really weird is we have 
these images of the defense team strategizing at times, and it was filmed. It almost reminded me of that staircase documentary. Right. It seemed very odd. Like, were they anticipating being able to sell this story? And were they recording, filming this, thinking they were going to win? And then that is a story of how they were smarter than everybody else. But you also have to think about attorney-client privileges. You know, you could cross the line there, too. Right, right. If they're just talking, to, yeah, they would have to. And who knows, right? We don't know in the big scheme of things how much was really filmed. I mean, there was only a couple of things in that documentary, and that could have been acted out for all we know. Yep, good point. Um, we also, in this documentary, hear some excerpts of Alec Murdoch reading from a journal that he was asked to keep by the defense team. Mm-hmm. So that also makes you wonder, were they asking him because they were anticipating this project? Right, and that would have only worked if he was found innocent or acquitted because they couldn't use it. They can't print the journal as a book or something if he's in jail. Right, because you're not allowed to make money off of Murdering a, a crime that yeah. you've been convicted of. So that goes to the trouble that Jim Griffin kind of gets in and Alec got in trouble. Yeah, because he was calling him and reading from this journal and calls to Jim Griffin, which, of course, can't be recorded because of attorney-client privilege. So it's just kind of this gray area. I think Jim Griffin said on Chris Cuomo that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't believe it was a violation. For the case of the prison, as far as the prison's concerned, it wasn't an attorney-client privilege. It was that the people who were behind bars cannot release things uh, without permission because it causes victims to unexpectedly hear stuff or see things or whatever. Well, South Carolina prisons also have a rule against giving uh, interviews to the media. Right. And so Ella got in trouble. Yep. He got some sort of loss of phone privileges and iPad privileges and all that sort of thing. Right. And we're going to talk to Jay Bender about this in a few. But before we get to Jay Bender, let's talk about what Buster says about Stephen Smith. I'm not surprised to hear that he says he didn't do it. None of us are surprised about that. Personally, I thought it was it was time for him to to speak out. I mean, I saw some criticism about that on social media, like why is he speaking? He's just drawing more attention to it. But he's kind of lived under the shadow for a long time, so I think that it was it was good for him to speak out. We've heard from everybody in, around the Stephen Smith case except for Buster. So at some point, he had I think needed to or wanted to defend himself. And what was the quote? He says, I never had anything to do with his murder. I never had anything to do with him on a physical level of any regard. You know, he denies it, but I think Eric Bland brought up on one of maybe court TV. Mm-hmm, yeah, with me, yeah. Yeah, said, you know, but they didn't really ask him, do you have any information? And he also said he was at Edisto, the first time we've heard that, with his, the only two witnesses that we know of, it could have been other people, but he mentions he was there with Maggie and Paul. Well, they're not here to say he was or wasn't there. Yeah, they can't corroborate that story. So that brings us to our guest. He's been on the show a couple of times. Jay Bender built a national reputation as a lawyer for newspapers and broadcasters, regarded as South Carolina's foremost authority on the South Carolina Freedom of Information Act, sometimes here referred to as FOIA. Bender represents the South Carolina Press Association, the South Carolina Broadcaster Association, and many members of those associations beginning his media law practice in 1975, and he has been very involved in all things Murdoch. And uh, we welcome back Jay Bender. Hello, Jay. How hey, are you? Great, great, great. Thanks for coming back. Uh, the Murdoch 
trial and the Murdoch world just keeps on giving. Uh, (laughs) Who who knew we'd be continuing to give and give and give. And uh, we want to talk to you about the documentary Seton was a big part of. Uh, Seton, what's your question for Jay? Well, my first one is I was not aware until after this documentary and Alec received some disciplinary uh, response from the prison system about uh, these calls with Jim Griffin where he was reading from a journal. Um, What is your opinion about prisoners' right to give interviews with media? Well, of course, it's a controversial subject, but uh, I think... One of the reasons prisons limit the ability of inmates to give interviews is the concern that it will uh, disrupt the prison, that other inmates will be agitating to do something. Uh, I'm not sure I buy the Department of Corrections notion that hearing the voice of a convicted murderer will be harmful to the victim victims, but that's a justification. I think that it's common across the country for inmates not to have the ability to give interviews. Now, there are news organizations that will claim that that's a violation of the First Amendment right to gather news, but as we have learned in a variety of contexts, the First Amendment is not absolute, and it's subject to balancing, and I think the notion that an inmate should be able to give an interview probably is outside the recognized limits of First Amendment protection. And while news organizations have a First Amendment right to gather news, that doesn't overcome the power of the state to regulate inmates who are incarcerated. Yes, because once you're incarcerated, the whole amendment thing is kind of out the window. You already have lost a bunch of yeah, rights immediately already, upon being locked up. Yes, your your rights of free speech are limited by your incarceration. And the question of whether or not the press has the right to insist on an interview with an inmate seems to me to be a very weak argument. I also wonder if payment for the interview comes into play in this equation, Jay. Well, there are some states that have laws that prohibit someone convicted of a crime from profiting from the crime. Uh, And I haven't looked at that for a long time, but uh, Son of Sam writing a novel and then keeping the proceeds of the novel probably was a test case on the issue years ago. Son of Sam was a serial killer in New York City. I think that if you write the book and can get published, you probably are entitled to the proceeds of your laborers subject to any claim that victims might have for compensation for your crimes. Well, what about in this case, it appears as if Buster was paid for his interview, uh, Alex's son, and there's a possibility that maybe the lawyers were paid. The defense team has requested additional funds from Alex's 401k to fund his defense. 
which has been declined, but now they're getting possibly a payment. So it, it, I don't know. It seems like it's a murky area to me. Well, Buster is free to sell his story or give his story away because he is not an inmate. Yes. Alec is in a different posture. And with respect to lawyers being paid for an interview, I think that's probably a question for the bar that regulates lawyer conduct. I haven't looked specifically, but I would think there might be a question about a conflict depending on what the lawyers say. I think a deeper problem here is one that was exposed when the Alec Murdaugh jailhouse tapes were first made public. Calls to lawyers are not screened, but inmate calls to everybody else will be screened, and there is concern that inmates are calling their lawyers so that the calls will be screened, and then the lawyers are patching the calls through to other persons oh. so that they won't be recorded. Gotcha. And I, I, think, I think that's a troublesome question for the jail and for the prison. Kind of an end around of the, the rules in a way. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Jay, I have a feeling we'll be talking again soon. Uh, some more things are going to happen, so we'll be talking <laughs> with you. Before we let you go, if there is another proceeding, if the defense is successful in their request for a new trial, will you be the media liaison again? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 Number one, uh, somebody would have to ask me, somebody in a position of authority, like Judge Newman did the last time, and <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to evaluate it. You'd have to talk to your family <laughs> about whether they want you to be gone all that time. Well, nobody in my family complained about me being gone. <laughs> <laughs> me either. I didn't receive those complaints either. <laughs> which, which might, uh, which might say something. But uh, my wife was able to come down to Walterboro a couple of times and and sit in on the trial and. One of our daughters came down one day and sat in for a while. <laughs> now that you've been home for three months, uh, Jay, they might be like, you know what? It's time for you to go be a liaison. <laughs> Why don't you go away again? Yeah. Uh, I, had a, I had an email the other day about uh, some trial coming up in Colleton County. I think it was another murder case that didn't have nearly the notoriety. and uh, There was a less than serious inquiry whether I wanted to come down and be the liaison with the press. <laughs> and, when there's no press, tre- it's hard. <laughs> I, I treated it as a less than serious uh, request, although there are many things that are appealing about uh, Walterboro. I did not get to eat as many steamed oysters while I was down there as I would have liked. Me either. Uh, and there is a liquor store that has an amazing selection of single malt scotch. <laughs> and I, I rewarded myself most nights by having a wee dram of single malt scotch uh, back in my microtel room before I hit the sack. And, uh, yes. uh, I was astonished at the selection they had. And, uh, wow. 
Wow. And I've been thinking about it beforehand. I would tell you the name of the store because they were most gracious. And <laughs> I don't know what it says about me, but by the end of the trial, they knew who I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, if you think of the name, let us know, and we'll put it. We'll put it on our social media. So, in case some of our listeners want to check it out. Yeah, they, it's it's an amazing supply of uh, single malt brands. I I keep a journal. Uh, it's rudimentary. It just lists the names of the single malt brands that I have sampled and i think it might be like my quest to get to all the major league ballparks they keep building new ballparks so i'll never get to all of them and there seems to be a new single malt brand on the shelf every time i go to the liquor store so it gives me something to shoot for <laughs> we all need we all need goals jay life, we all need goals. goals that's right well y'all take care appreciate it man we'll see you soon all right bye, bye jay Okay, a couple of things to let you know about. Matt Harris Podcast at gmail.com, Impact of Influence on Facebook. And uh, you had, oh, I want to know, I didn't mention before we leave. Uh, college Game Day was in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the University of South Carolina and University of North Carolina football game. And so, College Game Day, people hold up signs and stuff in the background and big giant heads and signs. And somebody held up a picture where they had photoshopped South Carolina players and Alec Murdoch, which was. It was a slight by North Carolina because it, yes. they were North Carolina students who were holding it, but. Yeah. Bad taste. Uh, probably yeah. bad, bad taste, taste, but. It was I a mean, shot at South Carolina. But let's talk about how bad that game was. My son, who is a freshman at the University of South Carolina, he, he, he went to the game and he called us in the middle of the game and said he was transferring. He's very. He's a very passionate fan. I mean, it was. There's. He's not transferring, but he was very upset. As opposed to uh, my daughter, who is a freshman at USC, University of South uh, Carolina, and she's like, I didn't watch any of it, but I heard it didn't turn out too well. <laughs> no, and I think Clemson had a similar result uh, playing yeah. Duke. They did. Was it Duke? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah it, so bad for the state of South Carolina. It was not a good football weekend for the state of South Carolina. <laughs> so uh, reach out if you'd like it. We would like it even more. <laughs> yeah, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Always grateful. Leave a review. That'd be cool. Rate us. That'd be cool. Uh, uh, we can also uh, would enjoy, if you want to hit the donation button, that'd be great. And our other podcast, uh, the Wicked South podcast, is still going strong. So check that one out. There you go. And we'll talk soon, friends. If you're looking for your next favorite tech podcast, Digital Disrupted might be for you. Join me, Paul Muller, for our weekly dive into anything and everything related to digital transformation. Listen now to gain foresight into what's coming next and insight for how to navigate it. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, 
And now each week, I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.